Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And let me just thank the men for their mercy this last week. We did have our chili bowl uh, with the Vikings and the Chargers. And uh, it was good for my character development. It was brutal <laughs> last Sunday afternoon, but we had a good turnout, and the real goal was to get together, connect men, have the opportunity to be together. It was a good time, so I'm thankful for that and thankful that I didn't get any harassing emails all this last week. Um, the Christmas season can be challenging for many reasons. Some of the reasons are physical health, and we like to share our illnesses this time of year, so stay away from me. I have been down and out for a few days. It's challenging because we go through the regular trials and heartaches and difficulties of life. Calendar doesn't stop. Some of you have been writing exams and going through your final projects and papers for school, and so you're probably pretty worn out and wiped out as you come into the end of the semester, so I'm glad for that end coming. Some of you have been grieving, Sam and Hale, welcome home, and we are um, grieving still with you and walking along with the passing of your nephew, and uh, just know that uh, we're continuing to pray, and Gloria had her surgery this week, and it's been kind of up and down, and so there's just several things that have been going on. I know the Wolpern's van got backed into, and we just have so many things that happen on an ongoing basis, but can I, can I put it before you that those are... Unfortunately, the normal challenges to life uh, that face us regularly that are hard to work our way through, added to that in our experience sometimes is that being a Christian at Christmas can be hard. And the reason why is good theology can make you grumpy. And I want to put that before you this morning, that good theology can make you grumpy if you overemphasize the wrong aspects of your good theology, because one of the things that can drive you crazy at Christmas is that Christmas seems to be about everything else other than what we say it's about. Or what it can do is it can bring to the surface the kind of underlying cynicism that's in the culture, which has also infected Christians, which is we begin to doubt that anybody's real, authentic about anything they're doing. And so what ends up happening is you can get a lot of people who find themselves emotionally uh, and, and relationally going down the tubes uh, in terms of Christmas. And rather than being filled with the joy of the Lord... We end up being filled with um, the spirit of Scrooge. I don't going to ask you to raise your hand this morning, but I would guess there are a few bah humbugs in the crowd here this time of year. And the bah humbugs may be because you anticipate that it's not easy to be with people. You anticipate that all those kind of emotional relational things that lie under the surface, sometimes boil to the surface by virtue of busy schedules, overeating, lack of sleep, the sniffles, and everything else that comes in. And the world looks dark and glim. Now let me say, uh, grim, let me say uh, when I come to Luke chapter 1, we saw at the beginning that Zacharias, 
Zechariah was in the temple when the angel Gabriel came and gave him the first announcement, the great news, that, they, that he and Elizabeth would have a son who would be John the Baptist. And he responded how? With unbelief, with cynicism and skepticism. That's not to say that he was an ungodly man. I would rather say that he had become accustomed to looking at the world through the shades of its fallenness. He had begun to be accustomed to seeing the world in its brokenness. And you have to realize that this moment for Zechariah in the temple where he was praying, think about this. He's a godly man, and this is his one pinnacle moment as a priest to come into the temple and pray, and he gets an angel. And he gets an announcement, and he gets a prophecy, and he hears it, and he can't believe it's true. Now, if that can happen to a godly man in the middle of ministry, it can happen to any one of us. That even if your theology is right, even if your view of God is right, even and especially if your theology is right in some ways and your view of God is right, you can come at it at a such a vantage point that you look at the world and see it as bleak and hopeless, dark and dismal, and when the good news of the gospel is brought to you, what do you do? You meet it not with Mary's questioning, how can this be, which was of faith, but Zachariah's, how can this be, is it possible that anybody could ever change, that the world could change, that God would do this. But here's what happens. At the beginning of Luke chapter 1, we get Zechariah in the flesh. At the end of Luke chapter 1, we get Zechariah in the spirit. And those are two different men with two different vantage points. He's had nine months of time out, right? That's what happened to him. The angel Gabriel said, because you did not believe God, you will go into the corner and think about this for a while. Silence. He gets a little bit of meditation. And when he comes out of his meditation time, out of his silence time, when John is named John the Baptist, and everybody's going, why are you naming John? Nobody in the family. But because God said to it, when they name John, John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he begins to praise the Lord. He blesses the name of the Lord. That's my goal this morning, that you would leave this place blessing the name of the Lord, that the blessing of the name of the Lord will be bigger than the doubt. The pessimism that comes out of your good theology. So that's my warning. I'm not talking to people who just have bad theology. I'm talking about people who have looked at humanity and said, man, we're a bunch of sinners and we continually are prone to wander. Isn't that true? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Let's take what we know of what God's doing in Jesus Christ, put that on our hearts and minds, and let hope fill so that we respond out of that kind of hope. Do you not need hope this morning? Do you need a, not need a gospel recalibration of your affections and your soul? My dear friends, if anybody has hope over the Christmas season, it's the people who have Christ. Right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's not just say it. Let it filter in, let it get into the way we think and process, and let it come forth. So this is 
the proclamation and the praise of Zacharias. I'm going to read it to you. You listen to it. Let me remind you. The Holy, this is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. If there is a sentence that the Holy Spirit takes out of this passage of Scripture and grips your mind, go off with the Holy Spirit. You can join up with us, right? Let the Spirit of God take the truth of God and minister to each of our hearts. Let Him break the bread and feed us. So Luke chapter 1, verse 67, and his father, John the Baptist's father, was, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I've been talking about, in this last few weeks, the Holy Spirit at Christmas. The Holy Spirit helps us repent. That's what we saw first. Holy Spirit helps us obey. The Holy Spirit helps us rejoice, we saw this week. And the Holy Spirit gives us a renewed vision. I think that's what's happening here in Zacharias. When Zacharias' mouth opens, he isn't the Zechariah in the earlier in the chapter. So listen to what he says. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. Underline that word. It'll come up again at the end. It's the theme. He has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And, and, here, and Zechariah now prophetically speaks to John the Baptist, the baby, and he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, this is the light of the world, right? The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray together. So now, Father, as we come to the Word of God, we pray that the light of the world would shine into our hearts. That's how the Apostle Paul describes salvation, that you caused the light to shine into our hearts that we might see the radiance of the face of God, the the radiance of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And so I pray, dear God, that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, open our hearts to receive the hope of the gospel. Make the main interpretive tool of looking at life be Jesus for us. Help us, dear God, to enter Christmas believing in Jesus and His saving power. And Heavenly Father, in light of that, give us joy and rest and peace and courage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I I put up here the description of what often happens if we go to the next one there Doug that darkness has a way of seeping into our hearts isn't that true isn't it true that we live in the shadowlands and we slowly begin to lose heart we lose perspective we lose hope that's what happens to us naturally in a dark world we find ourselves 
continually being invaded by the hopelessness of the world, the darkness of the world. And even if you have a right theology, you hold up the truth of the sinfulness of man and you look at the madness of society and, and, and the brokenness of the world and it begins to seep in as darkness. The great news of the gospel is then light comes. That's how the Bible, the light of the world enters in to the, into the world and the cold fading embers of our faith feel the breath of the Spirit igniting them. And so here's, here's what God does in Jesus. He breathes on the embers of our hearts. Now, let me just, let's just be really honest that for many of us, we would describe our faith has gone cold. And we're cold because of family. We're cold because of disappointment. We're cold because of what we have seen around us. And we look in our hearts and we, we anticipate what's ahead of us out of what? Belief or unbelief? Unbelief. We expect the best or the worst. We imagine more of the same, right? And, and it's the gospel where God comes by the power of the Spirit and puts the, the light of Jesus upon us to rescue and redeem us from that darkness. And I want to say that this is not something that someone who doesn't know Jesus needs to have. It's true. It's what every one of us needs regularly to have. Don't you need it all the time? Do you not need the fresh wind of the Spirit blowing the hope of the gospel into your life so that you can live in the reality of what is, not the reality of what was? The reality of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask the question, we go to the next one, simply for you to think about this morning, I'm going to walk through uh, what deep darkness has the Lord come to rescue and redeem us from. Think about the darkness that seeps into, the darkness that was in Zacharias, which we see being changed here in his life. And, and what I want us to see is our vision of God has to be transformed here. So here's the first thing that you see that probably was pretty clearly felt by Zechariah when the angel Gabriel came to him in the first place. Zechariah was called as a prophet after 400 years of silence from God. So when you go from the book of Malachi to the gospel of Matthew, there's just silence. You get this scene of the, of the Maccabees rescuing the temple from Atticus, Antiochus Epiphanes, as he comes and desecrates the temple, there's some of that history that goes on that you have in the literature, but from Malachi to Matthew, God's gone silent. And so there is the drudgery of going through the religious moments. And you would think that for Zechariah, he would come into the temple and this would be a pinnacle moment. This is an exciting moment. There were, the way it was set up is there were 24 divisions that came into the temple to serve and to offer incense and prayers on behalf of the people. And so they would come twice a year or at the big festivals. Well, for Zacharias, because there are so many priests, you would get one shot at it in your whole life. So I can imagine, this was, this was his big day. This is not Ralph coming up to pray every once in a while, right? This, this is his one time in his life 
that he intercedes on behalf of the people. And when he comes in to the to, to pray on behalf of the people, and the people are at the hour of the offering of incense. Here he is doing probably the most holy act of his life before God. What's going on in his heart? Doubt. What's going on in his heart? Where are you, God? Have you ever, you ever been at a real spiritual moment where you, where you should be tuned in? And it's deep down inside... God seems like he's a million miles away. Well, here's, let me, let me take you to verse 71 here. We'll jump in. He's praising and blessing the Lord. No, let me just, I'll, I'll jump from verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up. See, his tune has changed. God has shown up marvelously and surprisingly. And he has spoken, as he spoke, verse 70, from the prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. What's going on here? What has he realized from the time that he came into the temple and Gabriel showed up to the time of the birth of John the Baptist? What's he realized? Yes. So he's getting a renewed vision of what? The faithfulness of God, that's the first thing that's going on here. It's, it's what you and I have to have in our minds. We look at our circumstances. We look at it's been dark for a long time. We look at the difficulties. We look at the culture. We look at everything around us, and that's what that seeps into our faith. And it sows the seed of unbelief. What does Zacharias do as he goes back to the Scriptures and he, re- and he reads to the Scriptures? He reads that in the history of redemption, God has been faithfully and methodically moving forward. And what is he doing according to that verse, verse 73? He's keeping an oath he swore when? To Abraham 2,000 years before. Has God gone to sleep? Has God failed to keep his promise? What's the problem with us? God's timing isn't our timing. God's ways are not our ways. God is a God who keeps his word. He needs a renewed vision of the faithfulness of God. God will never forget his people. You got that? God cannot ever forget his people. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 49, God asks his people when they go through, and they're going to go through some difficult times in Babylon and under, in, in, under Cyrus of Persia, they'll have some difficult days. But he says to them in Isaiah 49 verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? What's the answer to that question? Yes. But it's a rare thing, right? When we, when we hear that a woman has neglected her child, a mother's neglected her child, we go, that's not normal, right? When we're praying, we're praying here this morning over in the farmhouse. Do you know how much praying time is spent for kids and family members, right? Moms, when do you stop being a mother? Right, right? You never stop being, it, you, they're, they're in your system. You, you, you can pray for all the people in the church, but your kids will be in your mind when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. They'll wake you in the middle of the night. That is just a normal thing. God asks this question. 
And it's not just his nature, but it's his covenant promise. God says, can a mother forget her children? Well, even if she does, I will never forget you. And so as, as Zechariah has done his reflection, he realizes that God is a covenant faithful God. When God promises to Abraham that Abraham would have a seed and the nations would be blessed, when, when, how, should, how should have Zechariah gone into the temple and offered his prayer? Right. And, and thanksgiving because what? God, you have covenanted to make a great nation from your seed. And God shows up with, says, I'm going to send the Messiah. And he said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were a covenant-keeping God. I knew you would keep your promises. I knew you would never abandon your people. Do you have any of that today? Because the covenant that God keeps now is not simply with Abraham, but with who? With Jesus Christ. He has established a new covenant with his son. And he has said, I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so as we think about God's covenant that his son who shed his blood will receive all for whom he died, you stop and think about this, that one day, Revelation teaches us, that every tribe, tongue, and people will fall down at the feet of Jesus and rejoice in his saving grace. Do you believe that this morning? Why do you believe it? Right, because he covenanted with the blood of his son. It's signed and sealed with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So my dear friends, let me do a corrective work this morning in my heart and your heart. Is your pessimism around family? Is your pessimism around society? Is your pessimism around American politics? Shaping your thinking rather than the covenantal faithfulness of God. My dear friends, it's not your faithfulness. It's his faithfulness. It's not your faithfulness, it's His faithfulness. Our God is faithful to all His promises, and not a word He has given shall ever fail. Will you believe that today? It'll change the way you walk the next few days. It'll change the way you pray. Zechariah, he has come out of his time out. By this great correction, God made a promise to Abraham, and he's keeping it to this day. I'm going to read to you what's a normal struggle. Can I tell you it's okay to struggle? Can I tell you that the reason Zechariah is in the Bible is because there's a lot of Zacharias in the body? Listen to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 73. Psalmist says to himself, okay, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are impure in heart, but let me be real honest here. As for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They drive Mercedes. They live in big houses. They have ice huts. They can do whatever they want, right? They're right. Sorry. 
And then I said to myself in verse 13, all in vain I've kept my hands clean. I've washed my hands in innocent. All day long I've been stricken. You know, I've been wasting my time trying to keep my life clean and pure and dedicated. Everybody else seems to be doing okay. It seems to go harder for me. See what he says here? Then he says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a big wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. Right? And then he starts to walk through God's faithfulness. He said, I was ticked off. I was embittered. You ever been that way? Have you been in that place? Are you there this Christmas? Are you there this Christmas where the darkness has seeped into your soul? Everybody in your family knows it. You know when nobody else is around that you're sulking in sorrow and sadness You've lost a vision of the faithfulness of God. My dear friends, the light is greater than the darkness. The covenant faithfulness of God doesn't flicker. The flame will never burn out. Nevertheless, I continually am with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing else. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Can you hear the engine pumping in Psalm 73? The blood beginning to flow and course through his soul. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Where he had gone slow and sluggish, suddenly life comes in. It comes in because he knows who God is. God is covenant faithful. It's the faithfulness of God that brings him out of the dark. It's the favor of God. Notice the second way that we can begin to let darkness. The sense of being banished from God's presence. This was historically part of Israel's history. They were continually being banished from the presence of God, right? What happened to Adam and Eve? Right. You're out of the garden, folks. You can't bring your toxic sin into the garden and pollute it. I'm sorry, God is holy. You're separated. Cain and Abel. Cain murders his brother Abel because he has an offering. What happens to Cain? He is sent what? To wander. Israel gets an opportunity to go in the promised land with Caleb and Joshua. They get to the end of the promised land, or the the wilderness. They're going to go into the promised land. They chicken out. They turn against God. What ends up happening? Forty years of wandering in the wilderness, banished to die in the wilderness. What happens to Israel in in the later years after the kings? They turn away. They serve idols. So they end up where? Living in Babylon, in exile. What's the story? The story is, I feel like God has banished me into the dark places. He did do that for them. But what's the message that God brings to um, the Zechariah in Luke chapter 1? Instead of God leaving us out in the wilderness, He sends His Son, the light, into the world. He draws Him near so that we might draw near. Go to verse 73. He says, the oath that he swore to our fathers to grant us, verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
Now just think about Zechariah saying that. How often could Zechariah serve God? Right? I mean, he could serve him all the time, but as the priest, he could serve in the presence of God when? Right. Once in his lifetime, actually, to come in and do what he was doing originally, he was the whole system was set up to say, God is holy, you are sinful, you cannot have access to me, you cannot serve me, you've been cut off from me. So they would have to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice as an act of faith and service that one day, one day God would deliver them. One day God would tear the, the veil of the temple and open up a way into them. One day they would have access. And suddenly Zacharias, as he's studying and he's meditating, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he has this, aha, God is drawing near to us, Emmanuel. He is garbing himself with our humanity. He is taking on, in his flesh, our iniquity. He is being torn. The veil of his flesh is being torn. He's bearing our sin so that we might have constant access to him 24-7. That we might live to serve the living God every day of our lives. Isn't that great news? My dear friends, just think about this for a minute. When you're going into Christmas, you have access 24-7 to the God of the universe. He never hesitates to call, come to me, come to me, come to me, draw near to me. Paul makes a big deal about access to God. You can always come to God, and God is always near to you. That's what Psalm 73 ends, the nearness of my God is my good. He will never, what, leave you or forsake you. Is that not a world of difference? Isn't that a radical change? My dear friends, we do not go out to serve God in our own strength, fighting in our own powers. Do you, here's one of the hard things about Christmas. A lot of times at Christmas, we talked about this this morning, people feel acutely alone. Sometimes you feel alone because you are alone, you're separated from family and friends. Sometimes you feel alone because you're grieving. You feel that acute absence of someone. Sometimes you feel alone because you feel like you're from another planet. Right? I mean, we're talking about Christmas, but nobody here loves Jesus. And you feel like the most precious thing in your heart is 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 treated as trite, and the most trinket thing is treated as treasure. Isn't that hard? Don't get self-righteous. We do it all, right? We're all idolaters. We get our value systems turned upside down, but here's the great thing in Jesus Christ. The great thing in Jesus Christ is that God has freed us and accepted us and drawn near to us so that we have the ability in Him to be present with Him, to to never be alone, to never be forsaken, to never feel like we're trying to solve all the problems in our own strength. Do you feel that this morning? Do Do you have a clear sense this morning that God is not only faithful, but He's near to you, and that He won't leave you, and that you are dwelling under his favor. That conditionality, you know, 
I can just imagine Zechariah coming out afterwards, and if he could have spoke, he would have said, I blew it, right? I got one crack at it, and I blew it. Anybody feel that before? I got one crack at it, and I blew it. What Jesus has come to do in the flesh is bring us the forgiving grace of God so that we can serve God in fear and in his righteousness, without fear, in righteousness. You know what? I'm the last guy that should be preaching. Right? Isn't that Paul's testimony? Isn't Paul, didn't Paul say the reason God saved me was to make it clear to everybody that I being the chief of sinners, that Christ came into the world to save sinners? You can talk to any of my family. You can go up to Canada at Christmas and say, who would, be, who would have been voted the least likely to be a preacher in the family? And I would have got the vote hands down by everybody. They'd probably still say it. <laughs> right? But the, the reason why God does what he does is in order to make it clear that it's by grace. It's by his favor. And he has to get his head turned around as he's coming in and God's saying, I'm sending the Messiah. He's looking, in this world to me at this time? Are you kidding me? We're all those guys. He's, he's thinking, no. And God's saying, absolutely, because it hasn't got anything to do with your worthiness. At this time, it has to do with the worthiness of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It's my favor that's going to be magnified here. We need a renewed vision of the favor of God. Do you have that today? Do you believe that God gives grace where it's least deserved? How does that change your Christmas? Do you think you deserve a lump of coal in your stocking? Right? Because he knows if you... I don't even know the words anymore. Right? I just know he's keeping right and wrong down. Right? He knows if you've been bad or good, so be... Well, let me just give you some news, folks. You're all on the bad side unless you've done it right perfectly. He knows that you've been bad and bad, so run to Jesus for goodness sake. That's the favor of God. Doesn't that give you hope? The hope of the gospel is that Christ came into the world to save sinners, not self-saviors. Gives us a renewed view of God's favor. Let's quickly look at a couple of more this morning. The guilt and shame of all our sin. Look at verse 77. He says to John the Baptist, this little baby, I love this. We have little babies in our family, so this week we're flying to Honduras. I get to hold, God willing, if we get there, I get to hold Joaquin for the first time. And so I, we both have the same haircut, so I'm going to enjoy it at this point in time. It doesn't last very long. But, you know, he, he looks at this little baby and he says, you are going to announce to people, what's he say at the end of verse 71? The knowledge of salvation through what? The forgiveness of sins. Isn't that a glorious way to announce salvation? He's going to, John the Baptist is going to go out, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Turn away from your sin. And he's preparing people because Christ came into the world to save Sinners, he doesn't go out to announce that salvation comes from self-righteousness. He doesn't go out to say your salvation will come from religious perfection, or Zechariah would have been out, right? Zechariah failed. It, your, 
Your salvation does not come from attending church perfectly, having your attitude right perfectly. Your salvation doesn't come from you being the perfect dad or the perfect mom. Guess what? This week, you will see you need a Savior. But great news is, salvation comes through what? Right, Jehovah saves. Right? The forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist would one day introduce Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is my joy at Christmas. You know who Jesus is? the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the great hope for your family at Christmas. He saves sinners, not perfect people. There's no, there's no, there will be only one perfect person in heaven. Well, it's bad theology. We'll all be perfect in Jesus and because of Jesus, but he's the perfect one. The, the lamb without blemish. But that's the good news of the gospel. That's the hope. That's what takes away the darkness. When you're sitting here thinking, oh man, the world is dark and bleak. My dear friends, this is where God does his work. This is the world in which Christ came. And if our sins are acutely before us, then praise God, the light shines brightly. It's not our sin. That's our problem. Boy, there's a lot of heresy in this if you take it wrong, so listen carefully. It's not our sin that's a problem, it's our unbelief. We all have sin. But if we don't trust Jesus and we try to fix ourselves, we're in big trouble. Our only hope is in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And finally, the hopelessness of being lost and beyond repair. That's, that's kind of the, the despair that comes in. Doesn't it come into our lives when we think, man, oh man, how are we ever going to get out of this mess? How are we ever going to solve this? You ever feel like you've been in a problem too long? You ever feel like you've been in a struggle and it's just irreparable? Look at verse 78. Because of the, he announces the tender, he announces the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high and to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's what he's saying. We can't see the future, but he's the one who is the future. He's the one who leads us into the future. He has come to give us light. You don't have to solve all the problems around you. You just need to hold on to the hem of his garment. He's come to give grace to you and to lead you out. Are you in situations that are too perplexing? That's why you're despairing? Are you staying up at night because you're trying to resolve all the relational difficulties, all the inner struggles, all the problems with your family and friends? My dear friends, you are not your own savior. The way to peace and rest is not through you. The way to peace and rest is to trust the shepherd, the light of the world, who's come to lead you out of darkness and into what? His glorious light. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You see, that's why God sent Jesus into the world 
Not so that we could quickly say, yes, I believe in Jesus, and then live in our own strength. He sent Christ into the world so that we could cry out, Savior, never leave me. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the dark places, there's light. Right? I fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. You get the description in the 23rd Psalm? Is it dark? Is it dangerous? Are the circumstances foreboding? Can, can you let that seep into your heart? Don't we do that? The darkness seeps in. We start to listen to our enemies. We start to meditate upon death. We think about all that's bleak around us. We forget the Lord is our shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, um, I've been sick this week, and that's one of the things that's good about being sick is you can just sit there with your Bible and stare at it. It's blurry most of the time, but you're looking at it, and you're meditating, and you're thinking through, and one of the glorious things that God has done for me by, he does this, did it with Zachariah, setting us aside, is he lets light seep into your soul. Can I put this to you? We were praying this this morning. It's really easy for you to be busy this week. It's really easy for you to be bothered this week. It's very important that you be quiet and hear the Lord this week. It's really important that you let the light come in and be reminded, right? You need to have the light come in and remind you that God is faithful to his covenant. God's favor is upon you in Jesus Christ. He's for you and not against you. That you can serve him in freedom and in grace, knowing your sins are forgiven. And he will lead you all the way home. You don't have to fix your life and your family. You just have to follow Jesus. You don't have to fix the world. He's going to fix the world. You just have to trust the Savior. You don't have to be the answer to every problem. He's the answer to every problem. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on Him. You need to spend time fixing your eyes on Him. Can we pray for each other that we could do that and rejoice in Him together? Let's pray. Father, you have called us here, all of us today, to worship you. None of us are here accidentally. You know what's going on in each of our hearts. It's easy, dear God, for 
our hearts to be like Zechariah, shaped by the darkness around us seeping in. It's easy for us, dear God, to be full of unbelief because we have not trusted in the message of your promises, the provision of your Son. Father, I know there are some people today who need to confess sin and believe that in Jesus there's forgiveness. So would you, dear God, offer forgiveness today in Jesus today? Would you cleanse hearts? Would you take away stains? Would you set the captives free? Pray and ask, dear God, this morning that you would help us believe that you're faithful to your Son, that your promises will not fail. The world is not going to win the day. You will build a glorious kingdom to the praise of your Son. Light wins, not darkness. You have given life, and that life is eternal for all who trust in you. So I pray, dear God, come with penetrating light today. Help us, dear God, help us. Help us to see and seek Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.